Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. And uh, it was wonderful to hear all those testimonies uh, about the Word of God and how the Lord spoke into your heart in different ways. And uh, I'm thankful that I get the privilege to pastor a church that has people in it that read the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Uh, believe it or not, that's, it's not a common practice of, with a lot of uh, believers, but we know that we need uh, the Word of God. And uh, it's like I, I talked about this morning, how the Word of God, it sustains us. It helps us. It gives us strength. It gives us what we need. And this afternoon, uh, I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon that's uh, kind of related to the message, and I want to read it to you because uh, it helped me. Uh, it says, he said this, It was God's Word that made us, so is it any wonder that His Word should sustain us? Amen. And it was, of course, His Word uh, that, that saves us too, and so He can sustain us through it. So I praise, praise the Lord for that. But 1 Kings chapter 8, and uh, we're, we're going to see, we're going to be in 1 Kings tonight, and then I don't think we're going to be in 1 Kings again for another couple of weeks because of different things that are going to be going on. Uh, but as I mentioned last week, we're really going to be splitting this chapter up into five parts. And uh, last week, remember, uh, we saw how Solomon brought the ark to the temple. And remember, the, the ark represented God's presence. And remember what happened. They, they put that ark in there, in the Holy of Holies, and then what happened? The Lord just filled the temple. And uh, we talked about the importance of living holy lives. We talked about the importance of living clean before God. Why? Because we are His temple now. We don't have a, uh, a temple that we go to to sacrifice animals anymore. We are the temple of God. And 1 Corinthians talks a lot about that. We'll be in 1 Corinthians tonight, later on as well. Uh, but tonight we're going to uh, see how Solomon, he briefly addresses God. And then he takes some time to address the people before he addresses God again at length in his famous prayer. And we're not going to get to the prayer tonight. Uh, but the message this evening is simply titled, God did this. And what we read about concerning the temple, as Solomon takes the time to address God, and then he takes more time to address the Israelites, we see that concerning the temple, this was a really great thing that, that had happened. This temple was a, a marvelous, uh, monumental building, and Solomon made it very clear that God was the one that orchestrated the whole thing. God was the one that caused the temple to be what it was. And just imagine how incredible the temple was. I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks, how awesome this temple was. Just every, gold everywhere. I mean, even the foundation was made of costly stones. There was, this was by no means, they didn't just you know, have somebody come in and do some you know, cheap job. No, this was, this was meant to bring maximum glory to God. I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but uh, even the nails that they used was plated with gold. So if that doesn't tell you <laughs> something, look, they, they were serious about this. They wanted to make sure that God got all the glory, and it was just incredible. So just imagine how great it was. But while this temple, it was great, we know that Solomon was an instrument that was used by God to build this. But the work itself was God's. And as We'll see tonight that Solomon, when he talked to the people, and as he could look on this great temple, he, he proclaimed that God did it. 
And as I, I was studying this this uh, this week, it got me thinking. <laughs> well, look, when was the last time that I was used by God to do a work for Him, and I, I could look at it and I could know God orchestrated all of it. God did all of it, and I want you to ask yourself that question tonight as well. When was the last time that the Lord used you to do something for His glory? And you just knew it was God that orchestrated it. You know, there's a lot to consider in the Christian life. There's a lot to consider in the ministry of the church. And you know, God, He wants to use you. Did you know that? He wants to use you for His glory. He wants to use you to minister to people. And God desires that we are always moving forward. He wants us to be always be advancing. And let me tell you this, Christian, if you're not advancing spiritually, you're going backwards. But we're to be always going forward. We're to be doing things for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. And tonight, my, it's my prayer as, we, as I prayed about this message tonight. And we're looking at uh, 1 Kings 8. It's been my prayer that God will help us see the importance of laboring for Him. And that will help us see the importance of expecting Him to do a great work as He did here. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter. We'll look at a couple verses to start with. Look at verse 12. It says, Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much again for your word. I thank you for the many testimonies that we heard from uh, believers that are part of this church, uh, that you know, just your word spoke to them. I right, thank you so much for that, Lord. I thank you that you've given us your word. And that we don't have to wonder what you want. We don't have to wonder what you think about things. We can just look in the book. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you'll help us this evening to just have our hearts open to receive your word. Help us to pay attention and to uh, just to seek you, Lord, and, and to have a prayerful heart as we consider what we find in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 tonight. I pray that you'll work uh, in my heart as well. Help me just to say exactly what you want me to say. Help the words that come out of my mouth to be honoring and glorifying to you. And that it will just be exactly what the church needs this evening. In your holy and precious name, amen. So in, in verse 12 and 13, that part of the address that I read was to God. Solomon was speaking to God, and as he spoke to God, he did this in a very worshipful manner. He did this with great reverence to God. And uh, it actually happened on a platform much like what we see here uh, in this church uh, that we often see at a church service. And I want to look at that. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. It doesn't tell us in 1 Kings that this happened on a platform, but it does tell us about it, how it did happen uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And look at verse 11. It says in 2 Chronicles 6, 11, And in it have I put the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the children of Israel. And he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and set it in the midst of the court. And upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. So uh, just imagine the scene here, church. They just gotten done very carefully and meticulously bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. 
And I mean, like I said last week, just imagine how careful they would be to, as they're putting this in there. They've gone through the process of sacrificing a number of animals that we could not, it's not even numbered. There's so many animals that they sacrificed because they wanted to make sure that this was pleasing to God. And now, uh, here they are getting ready to dedicate this temple to God. And uh, they're worshiping Him, they're glorifying Him. And you can guarantee, as they, as uh, Solomon came on this platform and he kneeled before God, he spread forth his hands and he was speaking, you can guarantee that on this somber occasion that all eyes were on Solomon, but all hearts were focused on the Holy One, which is God. Now, people, in no way would they be taking this lightly. They would not be ho-hum about this, which, by the way, like many people, are uh, about the worship service in the church. They would not be uh, taking this lightly at all. They would not be getting easily distracted. They would not be being a distraction. They would not be worried about just getting out of there so they could go home and waste their time. No, the glory of God had just come down upon that place so thick in a cloud of darkness and God had fallen down and they were locked in and Solomon was getting ready to dedicate this temple to the Lord. And Solomon says to God, you said that you would dwell in the thick darkness and here you are. You've done it. And this darkness, of course, was used to mask his glory because they could not handle it. But after he briefly addresses God, he then blesses the Israelites and praises the God of heaven. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. In verse 14 it says, And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel, and all the congregation of Israel stood. And he blessed, or and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day I have brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build an house that my name might be therein. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. So we'll just stop there for a moment. As the king, as he turned to the people... He rejoices and he's blessing God for fulfilling his promise. And this uh, promise was the promise to build this temple and use David's son to do it. And we're going to look at a little bit more about that in a moment. But look at verse 17. And it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, My father, whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son, that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. Now, we've looked at this a little bit, just to kind of set things up in the past, but God promised this to David. God told David, your, your son's going to build this temple. He is going to be the one to build this temple. You wanted to do it. It was your desire to do it, but your son's going to do it. And I want to look at that in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. And I want to go there because uh, this is nearly word for word what, what we just read in 1 Kings 8 and what we see in 2 Samuel 7. So go to 2 Samuel 7. Solomon quotes the words of the Lord nearly word for word in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, 
which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit, commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So, again, it's really it's nearly written word for word here, but here we are after all this time, after years, many years, from this moment when, when God promised David that his son Solomon would build the temple, here we are, and God had come through. And in this, Solomon reminded the people that God keeps his promises. And he never fails. I just want to take a moment to have you consider that. Consider the fact that not a single word of God has ever failed. Now some of you need that tonight. Some of you need to cling to the promises of God. But do you cling to his promises? I read this story, a true story about the, from the Toronto Ward Museum that tells the story about a 19th century man. And I, I'm going to try to pronounce this, but it, his name was Esapo Musiska. Let's try to say that three times fast. Uh, talk to me after service. But he, he was more commonly known as Crowfoot. So we'll just call him Crowfoot. And he was the chief of an Indian tribe and He was known for his peaceful relations with Canada during a time of great violence. And when the Canadian Pacific Railroad was being built, they needed to build part of it on his land. So the Canadian government, they approached Crowfoot with an offer, and they said, look, if you will give us this land then uh, for this railroad, then you can ride the train, the railroad, anytime you want. We'll let you do it for free. So they made a deal. And they finished uh, the Canadian Pacific Railroad, and then Crowfoot... Uh, received this lifetime pass to be able to travel on any railroad uh, or any train that he wanted to, anywhere he wanted to in the entire country. So they put it in a nice, beautiful case. They gave it to him. And this man, Crowfoot, is said to have carried that case around his neck all the time. He carried it around for his entire life, and it entitled him to go everywhere he wanted, uh, wherever that railroad would take him. But there was this one problem. And the problem is, as far as anybody knows, this man, Crowfoot, never stepped foot on any train. He never traveled. He had the right to travel anywhere that he wanted, but he never availed himself to that right. And I say all that to say this, there are a lot of Christians that are like this man, Crowfoot. They possess God's promises. They quote them. They frame them. They may even hang them on their wall and post them on social media but they never actually make use of them. They never really cling to them. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said that God never gives us a promise that he does not intend for us to use. So tonight, consider that. Do you cling to the promises of God? His word never fails. Now Solomon, he knew that not one word of God would ever fail. And as he fulfilled the promise to build the temple, Solomon gave all the glory to God. Because again, while Solomon was used by God to build the temple, it was God that did it. Now just consider tonight for a moment how monumental this this whole thing was. Solomon did that 
which his father David was not able to do in finishing this temple. He was not allowed to do it. God would not allow David to do it. Now Solomon, he easily could have, in his pride, allowed himself to be thought of as something. But instead, what does he do? He proclaims over and over again, God did this. He was careful to give God the glory. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. I want to look at a few verses here just to show you how he just gives God all the credit. And you know how easy it is whenever God does something in our ministries or in our life, uh, how easy it is to, to make an attempt to take the credit. But God deserves all the credit. And Solomon knew that. Look at 1 Kings 8 and look at a few verses here with me. Look at verse 15. It says, And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it. Look at verse 20. First part of verse 20. It says, And the Lord hath performed his word. And it also says, And that he spake, and I am risen up in the room of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel. And look what it says, As the Lord promised. So what is he saying here? Solomon is saying, God hath with his hand fulfilled this. He did this. He performed this. God has done what he has promised to do. And listen, Christian, in this, I'm not only comforted and encouraged by the fact that God will keep every promise that he's ever made, but I'm also challenged to be used by God to do something for his glory. I'm also challenged by uh, the fact that, man, God, he wants me to be a part of something great that is for his glory. And this can really be related to the work of the local church, just as God used Solomon to build his house. I want you to realize that God will build his church, but he, want, he might, he just might want you to take part in it. He just might want to use you to fulfill the work of building his church locally. So here we have David took part in this, but Solomon ultimately, he had planned, he prepared, he prayed, and he looked to build the temple of God. And while God ultimately did it, it, and it was his work, he used human instruments to do it. And he used Solomon to do it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and look at verse 13, what it says. It says in verse 13, I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. So what is Solomon saying here? He's saying God has you. He's telling God, I've done this. I have been used by you to build this. And I want you to understand, he was not saying this in a boastful manner. You know, sometimes when people, uh, when they tell us about all the things that they've done for God, sometimes you're like, okay, this seems like this person's boasting. He was not boasting in this. He was simply letting us know that God uh, had allowed him to take part in this, and he was uh, really just thanking God for it. And this really, it teaches us a great truth as a local church. God, he wants to build this church. He promises that he will. What did he tell Peter? He told Peter, I will build my church. And guess what? He will. And guess what? He does. And he has been. But he uses people in his church to do it. It does not just happen. He needs willing laborers. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians three, look at verse six. It 
Look at verse 6. Paul writes, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. In other words, God did it. Look at verse 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. Let me just stop there. And in case you didn't know the context of this, what was happening? People in the church of Corinth, and they were crazy. (laughs) We know they had a lot of problems. Well, one of their problems was the fact that they're arguing and bickering about which, which of them are better because of who led them to Christ? Which of them are better because of who baptized them? Oh, well, I'm a more spiritual Christian because Paul led me to the Lord. Oh, well, I'm a, a more spiritual Christian because Apollos was one that baptized me. And what's Paul saying? He's saying, who cares? It doesn't matter. What matters is that you came to the Lord. What matters is you got baptized. What matters is you're part of a local church now. It doesn't matter who led you there. It doesn't make a difference. And then... In verse 9, look at what verse 9 says. This is the key. For we are laborers together with God. Let me just stop there for a minute. Can you just, just think about this. When we do something for God, we are laborers together with God. And it's amazing that he would allow us to be a fellow worker of him. And look what else it says. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So that that verse 9, that's key. Look, we are fellow laborers with God. He is the major partner in this enterprise of life and in each ministry. And look, he lets us work together with him. And a lot of times people, when they look at service to the Lord, they look at uh, a ministry in the local church, and they're like, oh man, I have to do this. No, listen, you get to do it. It is a, an honor, and it is a pleasure that you get to serve God in the local church. He lets us work with Him. He is the great architect. And we work under Him to carry out His plans. And this is how it was with the building of the temple, and this is how it is in the building of the local church church. Now, personally, and I hope this is the case with you as well, but I desire to see God use Shiretown Baptist to build his church, to advance the gospel, to see people get saved, to see people get baptized, to see people added to the church, but it will not happen if we just sit around and do nothing. And I'm not saying you do. Maybe you do. That's something that you need to ask yourself. But the church is not meant to exist and just stay tucked away in the corner and wait until Jesus comes. We are called to get after it. We're called to labor. We're called to serve. We're called to work. I find it interesting. I've mentioned this before, but in one of the prayers of Christ, in Matthew chapter 9, he told his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. And you know, we should do that. We should be praying for the Lord to send laborers in His harvest. We did that this morning when we prayed for the the Taylor family. We prayed that the Lord would send a couple to Chile to help uh, be a co-laborer with them. But then in that very next chapter, Matthew chapter 10, He called and commissioned those same disciples 
whom he told, pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into his harvest. He called them to be laborers to his harvest. Hey, let's pray for laborers. Next chapter. Hey, you're going to be a laborer. <laughs> let's go. Let's work. Let's serve. So look, while you should pray for God to send more laborers in the harvest, while you should pray for God to send more laborers to this church and to the work of the ministry, you need to labor as well. You need to be involved as well. So I want to, each of you to ask yourselves a very sincere question, and I don't answer it out loud. I want you to think about this in, in your own mind. What am I accomplishing for God? What am I doing for God? How am I taking part in building His church? Am I being a good fellow laborer with God? You know, I've had, uh, in the last couple months, I've had the great honor of something that normally doesn't happen very often. I've had a couple members of our church that have approached me and they, they, they've said, Pastor, I want to do more. I want to serve. I tell you what, when that happens, you almost have a heart attack. <laughs> because that doesn't happen very often. And I thank God for that. And it's, that's exciting when people want to do more. That's exciting when people in your church want to serve. So what do we do? We get them plugged in. We get them on board. We, we, we give them something to do before they change their mind. Amen. <laughs> but what about you? What are you doing? You know there's no shortage of things to do for Christ. Did you know that? There is so much to be done for Christ. There's so much to be done in his local church. And just as it took a multitude of workers, as we'll see, to complete the temple, and we have seen that in the past, just as it takes a, took a multitude of workers to complete this temple, it takes many laborers to build up his church, even in a small local church in northern Maine. Now, most of us here tonight, we would probably agree that we want to see a mighty move of God in our town. I think most of us would say that. I hope so, anyway. Maybe not. But I would hope that most of us would say, you know what, I would love to see a revival take place in our town. I'd love to see uh, souls come to know Christ. I'd love to see uh, the, the church filled and, and people just reviving, their, the, the Lord reviving people's hearts. But the question is, do you want it enough to do what's necessary to see it happen? Again, God does the work. God gives the increase, but he uses human instruments to serve and to work. And if you truly desire to see him uh, do a mighty work, then guess what? You're going to do something about it. If you really want to see souls saved, then what are you going to do? You're going to invite people to church. You're going to live a good Christian testimony out to those in the community. You're going to point them to Christ. You're going to give them the gospel. You're going to look for and take opportunities to see souls get saved. And if you really want to see Holton, one for Christ, then you will do something about it. You will serve. Now, there are many things that I'd love to see God use our church for that will advance the gospel message. But you and I that are here tonight, we need to pray and we need to work hard. And that's what we see with the temple. As this great temple was built, we see that there was really two driving forces behind God building it in our text. And that is prayer and hard work. So ask yourself this question tonight. Am I praying and am I laboring? Let's go ahead and go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. I want to get it drilled in our heads tonight that only what we do for Christ will last. 
Do you know that? Only what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ will last. But sadly, there are many that are doing nothing for Christ, and therefore, they have nothing that will remain when their, work, when their works are tried before their master, when they're in heaven. And that's a terrible thing. And you've, you've likely heard the saying before. I remember Paul mentioned it one time in Sunday school. That saying that goes, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You ever hear that saying before? Well, I would submit to you tonight that most people are so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good. And let's just be real. That's, that's how it is a lot of times. We're so focused on the things of, of earth that we are of no heavenly good. We, we don't invest in the eternal. <clears throat> I'll just give you a case in point that we've seen recently, Just and I'll, you know, I'll probably make some people mad when I say this, but let, let's just take for a moment the outrage of, of Christians for this whole situation with Brittany Griner, my basketball player. Now look, I'm not, I'm not trying to get political or anything. If you want to be mad about that, then be mad about it. That's fine. You want to be passionate about that, then be passionate about it, but we ought to be more passionate about eternal things. Right? We ought to have more passion and more zeal and more boldness about the things that are going to last for eternity. We're we're so consumed. And again, look, I struggle with this too. We get so consumed with that which has no eternal significance. We're consumed with self-gain. We're consumed with self-pleasure. And in doing so, we are just wasting our lives. And all the while, there's a holy God that sent his son to be brutally murdered, to pardon our sin. And he wants to use each of us for his eternal purpose. And all the while, many are doing nothing. And you may say, well, why is such urgency? Well, I'll tell you why. We need, look, our church should have a sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to the things of Christ and when it comes to serving because souls are dying every day and they're going to hell. We should have urgency because life is short. We should have urgency because uh, we don't want to waste our life chasing after meaningless possessions. We should have urgency because we should desire to see God do such a great work in this church and in our ministries so that we can do what Solomon did and be able to look at it and say, God did it. And this comes about by prayer. This comes about by hard work and laboring for God. And I want to look at the matter of prayer real quick. Again, we're looking at verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 17. And I just want to thank God that he hears and answers prayer. Thank God for that. And I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said that God answers prayer not because we are good, but because he is good. And praise God for that. And he answered David's great prayer of faith in regards to the temple. Let's look again at verse 17. And it was in thine heart of David, my father, to build an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Now we already looked at this. But I just want to reiterate this. This was David's heart. This was David's desire. This was David's prayer. While David did not get the blessing of building God's house, his prayer moved the hand of God. And it enabled his son Solomon to build it. And it was not only in his heart to see it happen, but he earnestly prayed for it to happen. Even when he knew, okay, I can't do it, he earnestly prayed that Solomon would have the opportunity to do it. Let's go back to 1 Chronicles 29. And we see this great prayer of David as he just asks God to allow Solomon to build this temple. And it's, it's interesting to me, if you, as we read this prayer, 
It's called, in my Bible, David's thanksgiving and prayer. And then the last two or three verses, he makes a request. He, he goes on and on and on with thanking God, praising God. God, you're this. God, you're that. You're awesome. And then he asks God what he wants to ask him. You know, we could use a lot more praise in our prayers, couldn't we? You know, we're, we're really good about asking for things. But what about praising God for things? What about praising God for what he's given us? Look at verse 10. Wherefore, David, bless the Lord before all the congregation... And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in uh, the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. And thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all the fa our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord, our God, all the store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever. Uh, in the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of thy people, and prepare their hearts unto thee. And look what it says in verse 19. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart, to keep thy commandments and thy testimonies and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace, meaning the temple, for the which I have made provision. And David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God, and all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord and the king. So here we have David again. He's just, he's earnestly pray, praying to the Lord. Man, God, thank you so much for being just an awesome God. Thank you so much for being uh, a praiseworthy God and for being so great and so powerful and full of glory. And you can really sense the earnestness of this prayer, can't you? It's just, just as Hannah, you remember in 1 Samuel, as she earnestly prayed, for that child, Samuel. Just as that, that desperate father in the Gospels uh, that was in need of Christ to heal his son, and he earnestly asked him to help his unbelief. Just as uh, Abraham earnestly asked the Lord not to destroy Sodom, here David is earnestly seeking the Lord and asking him to use his son build this temple. And look, prayer truly does make a difference. When was the last time you and I prayed earnestly for God to do anything. When was the last time you earnestly prayed for God to, let me just give you an example, Sunday school teachers, junior church teachers. When was the last time you prayed for God to change the hearts of those listening in your Sunday school class? No, I've been there. I'm, I'm just like, oh, the kids, they never listen to me. They don't get anything. Man, I worked with teenagers for eight years. I know how it is, Dan. It goes in one ear and out the other. I don't even know if it goes in their ear, right? It's just like... You wonder, man, what's going on? Well, 
when was the last time you earnestly prayed that the Lord would work in their hearts as a result of teaching the scriptures? When was the last time you earnestly prayed for souls to be saved at this church as they hear the gospel, which, by the way, goes out every service? When was the last time that you prayed for the Lord to provide for the building project that we've been talking about for months? When was the last time that you earnestly prayed for God to open up the eyes of those that you witnessed to? When was the last time that you earnestly prayed for the Lord to help you live a holy life? When was the last time you earnestly prayed for God to help you do anything? We could certainly use more earnestness and earnest prayer. And so many of us, we're just living our life, we're just doing our thing, we're doing the work of the ministry, and we're doing it on our own, without the help of God. And really, we're just like the disciples were in Mark chapter 9, when they tried to, remember, they tried to cast out that demon, and they couldn't do it. And then they asked Jesus, Christ, why can't we do this? Why couldn't we cast out that demon? And you just did it so easily. And Jesus Christ made it very clear that they were relying on themselves by saying this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Look, we need to rely on him. And we need to rely on prayer because it really does show a reliance on God. So the work of the ministry, the house of God, it can be built by prayer. So let me ask you this. Won't you pray for the church? Won't you pray for the ministries of this church? Won't you pray for the, the, the Christmas play as that's coming up? Pray for souls to get saved. Pray for the, uh, God to just bring people in here. But also take part of that. Take part in bringing people in here. And that comes, that's what the second thing we're going to look at. It takes hard work. It takes laboring. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 8 again. It takes prayer. It takes laboring. It takes hard work. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8. <clears throat> look at verse 13. We already looked at this first, but I want to reiterate it. Verse 13, Solomon says, I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. Look at verse 20. It says, And the Lord hath performed his word, that he spake, and I am risen up in the room of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord had promised, and have built an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. So, well, again, while this was God's will, it was God's plan, it took human instruments to physically build the temple. It took a lot of work. It took many men to do this. Obviously, Samuel, uh, Solomon, he headed up this whole thing, but it took many men. It was all hands on deck. There were tens of thousands of people that took part in the building of this temple, according to 1 Kings chapter 5. And it was God's will for it to be built, but he used men to build it. And again, likewise, it's God's will for his house to be built here, his local church to be built, but he wants to use you to build it. And God uses men to perform his work. He uses burden and brokenhearted men and women, so won't you allow him to use you? So tonight, what I want to do is I just want to call on our church to pray for God to do great things for his glory, but I also want you to allow him to use you to do it. Put your feet to your prayers. You know how easy it is? It's easy Easier to pray than it is to do something. It's like it's easier to complain about what needs to be done rather than do what needs to be done. Amen? <laughs> but look, put feet to your prayers. Pray for souls to be saved and pray for souls to be added to this church, but put feet to your prayers by actively looking for opportunities to share the gospel and by actively looking to invite people to hear the gospel be preached here. Put feet to your prayers. Pray for God to build your Sunday school class, to build your junior church class, to build whatever ministry it is that you may be a part of, but 
Put feet to the prayer by working hard, by studying diligently, and by doing your part. Pray for the Lord to lead us and guide us and provide financially for the future of the church. And again, I'm just going to keep bringing it up because I want you to keep hearing this, but, but pray for God to provide financially uh, for that building project, whether it means that we build here or we build on another piece of land so that we can see his church grow. But put feet to the prayer by giving financially as the Lord leads and also working to advance the kingdom of heaven by being involved in a ministry at this church. Pray and labor. Pray and labor. Pray and labor. It was God's will, we know, for that ark to be built to save those eight people. But guess what? Noah had to build the ark. Right? Is that what the Bible says? I'm pretty sure it tells us that Noah built the ark. It didn't just magically appear. It was God's will for Goliath to be killed, but David had to go out and face him. It was God's will for the Ninevites to repent, but Jonah had to preach. And we know Jonah ran away, and God took care of that, didn't he? <laughs> he said, you're doing it whether you like it or not. It was God's will for Israel to be released from the grips of Pharaoh, but Moses needed to go to him. It was God's will for the Israelites to enter the promised land, but they had to cross that Jordan. So do you understand what I'm saying here? It's God's will for souls to be saved. We know that. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will for the church to grow. It's God's will for people to grow spiritually. It's God's will for people to be added to the church, to be baptized. It's God's will for the church to be built and for a great move of God to happen, but we need to do our part. We need to pray and we need to labor. So how are we doing tonight? Let's be more committed to it. I'm sure there are people here, you're praying, you're laboring, you're doing a lot. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep praying. Let's keep laboring. And if you're not praying, start praying. And if you're not laboring, come see me after service. I'll help you out. I'm going to put you to work. I love it when people come up to me and say, Pastor, I want something to do. Well, amen. And after I get up off the floor, we'll, we'll figure something out. Amen. Let's pray and labor. Bow our heads and close our eyes.